My name is Ellie Tanaka. I'm a senior research scientist at the Research Institute of Molecular Pathology in Vienna, Austria. And today, I'm going to tell you about salamander limb regeneration. In fact, in nature, there are many animals that can regenerate a substantial part of their body. If we take a look here at simple animals such as hydra, annelid worms, or flatworms, we're able to cut these animals in half, and both halves will regenerate. The tail part will regenerate a head, and the head part will regenerate a tail. In contrast, if we go up in complexity to animals such as this lizard, we can um, amp uh, cut its tail, and it will regenerate an imperfect version of this. If we go to fish, uh, we can observe fin regeneration, uh, regeneration of bits of the eye, the brain, and the heart. And then if we look at uh, frogs, uh, we can observe regeneration at the tadpole stage of the tail and the developing limb. Now, among four-legged animals, there's one uh, type of animal that has remarkable regeneration capabilities, and that is the salamander. The salamander can regenerate not only its leg, but it can regenerate the lower jaw, can regenerate the tail, large parts of its brain, parts of the heart, as well as other internal organs, such as the pancreas and the kidney. Over the years, researchers have used a number of species to study regeneration, including this red-spotted newt coming from North America, Sinops pyrogaster, coming from Japan, and Pleurodiles wattle, coming from Spain. All of these animals are capable of undertaking this amazing feat, which is to grow a bud of tissue after amputating the limb, which then continues to grow and then undergoes patterning to replace the missing part of the limb and uh, the limb becomes functional. Now, a number of researchers have also used another species of salamander uh, to study this process, and that species is Ambistoma mexicanum, or the Mexican axolotl, that was collected over 100 years ago uh, in Lake Xochimilco. Uh, this is a wild-type axolotl, um, you can see its beautiful skin pigments. In nature, there are also other uh, natural mutants, such as this one called the white mutant, or DD, which lacks skin pigments. And this is helpful for us because it allows us to see the cells in the regenerating tissue as they're undergoing the process of regeneration. These salamanders can lay up to 500 eggs at a time, and th these animals become fully active and functional quite early in their lives. This shows you a young axolotl, and at this stage, the animal has a forelimb, although it doesn't have a hindlimb yet, and we're able to study regeneration in these size animals. This helps us to put the animal under the microscope and watch the process of regeneration. Let's go over the parts of the limb that we're going to be talking about today. So as you know, in our limbs, we have an upper part of the limb. We have the lower arm, 
And then we have the hand part of the limb. In addition to the three parts of the limb, we have the different tissues that make up the limb. We have uh, the skin marked here in blue, muscle fibers marked here in red, and then Schwann cells and nerve cells in, uh, marked here in green, and bone marked here in black. Knitting many of these uh, tissues together is also a cell type called the fibroblast, which uh, is diffusely around many, many different tissues. Now, let's look at the structure of the blastema. This shows you a time course of the regeneration process again, the formation of the blastema as it undergoes growth and patterning to regenerate the limb. If we take one of these young axolotls undergoing regeneration and put it under a microscope, we see this. You can see this is the upper arm bone, and these are the lower bone, uh, arm bones. And this amorphous structure here is the blastema. If we now take a thin section through this tissue and stain it with some dyes, we can see the cells inside. So these are the lower arm bones, and this is the blastema. And you can see it's covered by a piece of skin called the epidermis. So this is where all the action is happening. These are the cells that are going to regenerate the new part of the limb. How do they do it? Well, today we'll address two fundamental questions that we need to understand to understand the process of limb regeneration. First, which cells from the adult part of the limb are recruited to form this blastema? Secondly, how does the limb regenerate only the missing part? So let's start with this first question here. Now, researchers over many years have been examining this question by different methods, and I'll illustrate you, uh, for you two of these experiments. For example, Trigg-Steen found a way to label limb cells of uh, the salamander by providing them with radioactive nucleotides that incorporated into the DNA in, of the cells of this animal. He then took a small bone part of this, uh, of a limb from one of these labeled animals, cleaned it as well as possible, and then placed it into the blastema of an unlabeled animal. When he then followed regeneration, he saw that the labeled cells were uh, taking part in regeneration, but produced only bone cells. So he concluded from these experiments that bone-forming cells only form bone during regeneration. In contrast to these experiments, an experiment conducted by Hugh Wallace and Mal Malcolm Maiden suggested that Schwann cells might be able to produce many different cell types during regeneration. Interestingly, in order to inhibit regeneration, they treated the limb with x-rays. This prevents the process of cell proliferation so that when the limb is amputated, it is unable to regenerate. In order to rescue regeneration, these researchers then transplanted a piece of nerve, a normal piece of nerve, from the unirradiated animal into this irradiated structure. When they waited over time, 
then an entire limb regenerated. So this raised the possibility that Schwann cells might be able to lose their uh, specialized property in a process called dedifferentiation and produce many different cell types. But of course, it was also possible that their grafted tissue might have contained some unknown cell type that also could have contributed. So we were interested to follow the different tissues of the limb during the process of limb regeneration at high resolution. In order to do that, we made transgenic animals that express a gene from the jellyfish called green fluorescent protein so that cells in the body would glow green under the microscope. This was done by injecting the, or an, a freshly laid egg of the axolotl with the DNA coming from the jellyfish with sequences that drive its expression in all cells. And when we grew up these uh, injected eggs, they produced uh, animals that glowed green. And then we mated these animals with normal animals, and they produced progeny that then were green. This is a picture of the actual green glowing uh, axolotls, and we like to call them Hulk axolotls. So how do we use an animal that's expressing this green fluorescent protein in all cells of the body to trace uh, different tissues during limb regeneration. Well, one trick that we used was embryonic transplantation. This picture shows you a, a top-down view of a developing axolotl egg as it's making the nervous system and other tissues. We took the little piece of the embryo that is destined to make the limb muscle and transplanted it from a GFP-expressing animal to a normal, unlabeled host. We then grew up this animal, these such animals, and we got this kind of samples. We then confirmed that such animals express the GFP only in muscle cells, the descendants of this little piece of tissue. So what happens then when we amputate such a limb? These panels show you the uh, limb before amputation that has labeled muscle in it, at, right after amputation, and then as the tissue starts to regenerate. Finally, you can see that in the regenerated portion of the limb beyond this line here, we have plenty of green cells in the regenerated structure. In order to figure out which cells, which types of cells were labeled in the regenerated structure, again, we took a thin section of this tissue and stained it with different dyes. This section is shown here. In blue, we've stained uh, the section with a dye that labels the nuclei. And then in red, uh, we've marked the muscle uh, fibers of the limb and in green are these GFP-expressing um, uh, uh, cells. So you can see here that there's very good localization, co-localization of the green with the red, and so sometimes you see yellow. And this means that in the regenerating part of the limb, the GFP-expressing cells are only in the muscle, and they're not found in the skin or in the bone. 
So we conclude from these experiments that muscle uh, tissue only makes muscle during the course of regeneration. Now, the next series shows you the digit tip of an axolotl that's been freshly amputated. And in this animal, we found a way to label the bone-forming cells of uh, the regenerate with multiple colors. So we have layers such as the periskeleton and uh, fibroblasts here that are labeled in yellow, blue, and red. Now, you can see this series of the same digit over time, where we see these cells moving into uh, the blastema, which is here. And then these blastema cells are contributing to the central rod of cartilage as it grows and regenerates uh, the digit tip. So from many of these kind of studies, we've basically mapped the uh, different tissues of the limb and what they form during regeneration. From this, uh, we conclude that when we amputate uh, axolotl limb, we knew from previous studies that the skin crawls over the end of the limb and forms skin. We then observe fibroblasts uh, coming in and uh, into the blastema. And then at later stages, we see cells deriving from the muscle tissue and the nerve tissue coming into the blastema. So the blastema is a mixture of several different cell types that then undergo growth. And then as the limb regenerates, the muscle and nerve form themselves. And then the bone is deriving from fibroblasts and periskeletal cells that had wrapped around the original adult bone. So put in words, we can make a tissue-to-tissue mapping of regeneration, where epidermis makes epidermis, muscle makes muscle, Schwann cell makes Schwann cells, blood makes blood, periskeleton makes cartilage and bone, and then fibroblasts can make fibroblasts that can also make cartilage and bone. Now, let's go to the second part of this lecture. How does the limb regenerate only the missing part? Let's go back to this time series of regeneration, where here we've amputated the salamander limb in the upper uh, part, It regenerates a blastema, and then it regenerates the elbow, the lower arm, and the hand. Now, in contrast, in the other side, uh, the limb has been amputated in the lower arm. It also generates a blastema, but then it's only regenerating the wrist and the hand. How does the limb know how to do that? Well, I'm going to tell you about a remarkable experiment uh, done by Edgar uh, Butler, who, uh, uh, to, who really uncovered a fundamental property of the salamander limb. He severed the limb here at the wrist and then sutured it back into the body uh, like this. This uh, suture presumably then allowed a connection to be made between the main body and the limb so that later he was able to cut the limb here. You can see the result of that amputation here, where this part of the limb makes a normal amputated limb, but this part is, has a reverse polarity. So the lower part of the limb is close to the body, and the upper part of the limb is actually away from the body. 
Now, when he waited, then he got two regenerated limbs. So this would be as this top one would be as normal, but the lower limb with reverse polarity regenerated the rest of the upper arm, then the lower arm and the hand. This allowed him to conclude that the limb cells have some kind of memory of where they're from.、Uh, so. An upper limb cell knows it's an upper limb cell, and then after amputating the limb, a cell can all form descendants that have an identity that's more distal than its original memory, and this is why this is called the rule of distal transformation. Cells will always form、um, new cells that have a more distal identity, and as I mentioned. Knowing where you're coming from, which part of the limb you're coming from, is a very important concept that we call positional memory or positional identity. Now, in the early '80s, several researchers figured out that a derivative of vitamin A, retinoic acid, is a molecule that affects positional memory. In fact, if you inject it during the process of Regeneration it can override positional memory. What does that mean? Well, this picture shows a normal regenerate, which an, a limb that had been amputated here at the wrist, and then regenerated a hand. Now, in this sample, the limb had also been amputated at the wrist, but the animal had been injected with this retinoic acid during regeneration, and you can see a bit of the lower arm regenerated here, an extra bit plus the hand. With a higher dose of retinoic acid, you get an entire lower, extra lower arm, and then the hand, and then with an even higher dose of retinoic acid, you get a shoulder growing out of a wrist blastema, an upper arm, the lower arm, and then the hand. So this molecule gave us a、uh, important tool for understanding other molecules that control positional identity during、uh, regeneration. So, what factors control positional identity? Now, several researchers identified factors that increased in abundance after treating an animal with retinoic acid during regeneration. Now, I'll talk to you about two of these molecules today. In this slide, you see here a linear representation of a protein. Called MIS. It's a transcription factor with three known domains: MIS A, MIS B, and the tail homia domain、uh, part. Low, down here, you see a different molecule, a ribbon re representation of a protein called PROD1, which is found on the surface of cells. These molecules were identified、uh, as being upregulated、um, after treating the. Uh, animal with retinoic acid. Now, how do we test whether these molecules are involved in telling、um, blastema cells their position? Again, we're going to turn and use the GFP molecule. In this assay, Nadia Mercator and Miguel Torres took the GFP DNA. And injected a small bit of it in the tip of a regenerating blastema, and used electrical pulses to have the cells in the blastema take up this DNA, so that they started to produce the GFP protein.
Now, as regeneration proceeds, you can see that these green-labeled cells start dividing, proliferating, increasing in number, so that by <clears throat> towards the end of regeneration, you see a large swath of cells that express um, this GFP, and they're spread throughout the limb from the amputation plane to the tip. Now, in contrast, if they mix this GFP DNA with the DNA encoding this MIS um, transcription factor plus its partner, PBX. Now, when you um, put these DNAs into the tip of the blastema, into cells at the tip, and then allow them to proliferate and form the blastema, and then regenerate the limb, you see that the cells that are expressing MIS and PBX are constrained to form only the upper regions of the regenerating limb. So these results suggested that MIS and its partner PBX control the positional identity of cells. Now, it was possible for Nadia Mercator and, and Miguel Torres to do an inverse experiment, let's say, which is to block the function uh, or expression of MIS uh, after we treat um, the uh, regenerating limb animals with retinoic acid. So, in this experiment, Instead of using a piece of DNA that boosts the levels of MIS, there's a method to prevent the production of MIS protein during regeneration. So these morpholinos were infused into the uh, regenerating limb blastema, and electropole pulses were used to get these uh, morpholinos into the cells. And then these animals were treated with retinoic acid in order to produce this duplication of the limb. Uh, and allowed to regenerate. So you can see an example of such an animal here. This is actually the control side. So this is the side where uh, mice protein uh, production was not blocked. And so since the animal was treated with retinoic acid, you can see that in this um, part, you have an entire limb growing out of a lower arm blastema. Now, in this side, the blastema was treated with the, these morpholinos that block the uh, MIS protein production. And so then you can see that retinoic acid was not able to cause an entire limb to grow out of a lower arm blastema. So this supported the idea that the MIS protein is used by the limb to tell the limb uh, which part uh, should be the upper part of the limb. Now, a similar experiment was done with PROD1, where Karen Echeverry in my lab looked at whether PROD1 could change a cell's uh, position during regeneration. So again, here, now we uh, uh, took a piece of DNA that encodes a red fluorescent protein and electroporated it into the tip cells of a blastema. And then if we allow that limb to regenerate, we have red in the limb. If we mix this DNA, this is GFP DNA now, with the PROD1 encoding DNA, allow it to, uh, these cells to regenerate, then you see that the expression of PROD1 has biased the contribution of these cells to the upper regions of the limb. Now, I, in the beginning of the talk, we discussed how the limb has many different tissues that all contribute to the regenerating part of the limb. 
So we asked whether all tissues have this positional memory or only selected tissues have this positional memory. In order to do this, we took a limb that had GFP expressing um, bone and uh, periskeletal cells, and uh, we then took a piece of hand bone and then placed it into the upper region of uh, a host limb. We then amputated and asked whether these green cells would remember that they were hand cells and only contribute to the regeneration portion of the hand, or whether they might contribute to the whole part of the uh, regenerating arm. We also did this with animals where the Schwann cells wrapping around the nerves had been labeled with GFP expression. Again, we took a piece of Schwann cells, a piece of nerve tissue from the hand of one of these animals and placed it into the upper arm region of a host limb and then amputated and allowed regeneration to occur. So these panels show you the results. Here's the result of transplanting the periskeleton and bone, the bone-forming cells. You see the transplant in the freshly amputated uh, tissue. It's undergoing regeneration. And then we have the green cells contributing to the hand region of uh, the regenerating limb. In contrast, when we had Schwann cells labeled and then allowed amputation of the limb, regeneration, and then the fully regenerated limb, you can see that the labeled Schwann cells coming from the hand can produce Schwann cells in all parts of the regenerated limb. So from these experiments, we conclude that the bone-forming cells have positional memory. A hand bone cell remembers that it's a hand bone cell and during regeneration will only contribute to the hand, whereas a hand Schwann cell is rather promiscuous and it contributes to all parts of the regenerated limb, even the lower arm and the upper arm. So these cells do not have positional memory. So I'm going to end my lecture here today and summarize what we've talked about today. We've seen that the blastema derives from multiple different cell types, multiple different tissues, and these uh, cells largely uh, retain their identity to form the same tissue type during uh, regeneration. I also showed you that being able to appropriately regenerate the right parts of the limb relies on a feature called positional memory. A cell knows what part of its limb it's from. And it's not just any cell. In fact, it's the bone-forming cells of the limb that have this positional memory and guide the process of regeneration, while other cell types, such as Schwann cells or muscle cells that we've examined also, they do not have positional memories and must be following the instructions provided by the bone-forming cells. I want to thank the many contributors uh, in my lab and other labs uh, to these studies, and this lists uh, the, the people in my laboratory, and also the funding agencies that have supported our work. Thank you very much.